Welcome to the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast, the show with two guys with a lot to say about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the NHL. Here are your hosts, Ben Shelley and Michael Maze. Hello, everybody, and welcome to, is it the seventh episode of the Leafs? I, I think it is, yeah. Wow, we've come a long way. Welcome, welcome to the seventh episode of the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and joined with me as always is Ben. Yep. Hey, guys. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. It's just going to be mostly Leafs. Uh, we're going to try and keep it uh, short and compact. Uh, so l- why don't we get started? Awesome. Uh, so uh, the most recent game, the Leafs lost 2-1 in overtime um, to the New York Rangers. Um, I was unfortunately out of town and didn't get to watch the game. But Michael, I know you did. Yeah. What were your thoughts on what you saw? Well, I think uh, this was first off by talking about the fact that the Leafs got Georgiev again. That was the second time this season. For those of you who don't remember, back in February, the Leafs played the Rangers, and they put on a clinic in terms of just production of shots, uh, getting quality chances, just couldn't stop, uh, couldn't get a, anything going by uh, Alexander Georgiev of the New York Rangers, who is the Rangers' backup goalie. And the same thing happened uh, on Saturday night. It took the Leafs uh, over 70 shot, shots from the last goal that was scored by Casper Kapanen in that game for Zach Hyman to get a goal. And even then, that was kind of a bit of luck. And uh, yeah, they, they just couldn't solve him after that. And it's really unfortunate uh, when you have games like that where you, you, you do everything right, getting chances, just moving the puck well in transition, just attacking the other team and making it so that they can never get anything going. And just the goalie just puts on a clinic. And that's just what happened. Yeah, it's interesting because I think if I read right, Georgiev had a 9.09 save percentage this year. So, I mean, not bad, but those aren't excellent numbers and definitely not numbers good enough that you'd expect this sort of backup goalie to do that to the Leafs. One of what should be the most high-powered offense uh, offenses in the NHL twice. So that was interesting to me. I know you looked up some stats that you had seen. Yes, that is correct. Uh, I, po- I posted something yesterday about uh, the Leafs in situations such as this one. And I thought that was pretty interesting uh, When I, once I find it. Oh, okay, here it is. So what I tweeted yesterday was, in games where the Leafs have recorded 40-plus shots, they are 6-6-1 six, six, in of games where the opponents have 25 shots or less. The Leafs are 4-6-0. and oh. And in games where the Leafs' shots 4% is above 60%, they are 5-4-1. and one. Just for anyone wondering, these all came from Natural Stat Trick, a great side. Check them out if you haven't. I just wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts when you hear those numbers? I just think that's weird. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a very good point. I was very surprised because I was, I, I, when, I when I went into that, I thought, okay, the Leafs are pretty unlucky in situations like, that, like this, where they, they're dominating the opponent and they just can't get anything going. And that kind of backed up the claim a little bit. I, I wasn't. I was kind of surprised at how, like, even the records were. Like, it was pretty five hundred for mo- for the most part, but more or less, it was a re- losing record. And then somebody point pointed out to me that in these same situations, so going to the same situations where the Leafs have forty plus shots, their save percentage is point eight nine seven. In opponent games where the opponents get twenty five or less, it's averaged out to point eight seven seven. And in games where the shot percentage is over sixty. Save percentage is eight eight one. Hmm. So, what do you think about that? I don't. I'd love to. I'd love to take a look at like different goalies around the league who uh, like look at their baseline save percentage throughout their career throughout the year, and then look at what it is against the Leafs. Because I want. It seems like there's been multiple games this year where the Leafs have actually dominated, and we've seen that high-powered offense. Mm-hmm. 
that you know we were expecting coming into the year, and they just can't come ar- come away with a win. I think that's something that I'd love to look into because I think that's really interesting. And there have definitely been a string of games lately where the Leafs have more or less just not came out to play. But from the sounds of it, this wasn't one of them. Yeah, and I think that was pretty much the sense of what happened this week. Uh, we had the Mon- the Tuesday game against the Nashville Predators where the Leafs pretty much shut down the Nashville Predators offensively. And they for two periods, they had basically nothing. Like, not even, they barely cracked 10 shots after two periods, which is pretty remarkable if, if for the Leafs. Because like, they, they have had a tendency, at least from uh, from, from what people were saying, that they, they allowed too many shots. But this game... They, they did a really good job, and they, they got shut out. And then they did the same thing against uh, the Buffalo Sabres. They were absolutely dominant from the stop of the puck. And they only won by two goals. And they didn't even allow that. They even gave up the first goal, as per usual. And then the same thing happened on Saturday. They, they absolutely dominated the competition, and they just can barely get anything going. The, the best they could get is a point. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, another thing, so uh, there's been a lot of talk about Austin Matthews and his play as of late. I know you had read an article that you were really interested on. Yeah, absolutely. Like there was a post from the Athletic very recently about uh, Austin Matthews and his overall su- success of late, and I think it's a really fascinating topic, especially at this time of the year. Um, I know that we we read recently that Garrett Sparks was talking about how the Leafs need to be playing with a lot of emotion, and I think we def I se- I definitely noticed that with Austin Matthews on Saturday. Um, there was a bunch of clips where Austin Matthews was going to the bench after. Getting a lot of great chances, just nothing going his way, where he was just like visibly frustrated. And there was even one clip where the stick break. Yep, the yeah. stick breaking. Yeah, I think um, there's definitely that. He's definitely trying to turn it on because he knows that the games are becoming more important. Uh, playoff time is just around the corner, and I think he's really starting to turn it up. And I think that, in combination with being reunited with the uh, William Nylander, may have something to do with uh, why we were seeing a much more like, dominant Austin Matthews. Yeah, and we've we've talked about the Matthews Nylander combination for the past few weeks. I think. Um, but, you know, I think we both agreed that Matthews is at his best when he's with William Nylander. Um, do you, uh, like, for you, do all signs point to them continuing this duo into the playoffs? Yeah. You, yeah, you, do you expect them to stick together for the playoffs? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see any reasons why the Leafs would want to split that up, especially with the way they've been playing the last few games. It's just unfortunate that nothing's been, uh, the results have not been showing yet. But I, I'm very encouraged by, by how both Matthews and Nylander have been playing. And uh, there's an article that recently came out from um, Mike Kelly on the point. I, if you ha- guys haven't heard of them, you should definitely check it out. And it says here that the Leafs, that William Nylander has been getting a lot of shots on net. But the problem is that his slot shot accuracy is one of the worst on the team. It's actually in 12th place out of all Leaf forwards at 51.1%. Oh. And the only players that are worse than him are Kasper Kapanen. And Nazem Kadri, who, as you guys probably know, are struggling to get goals over the last ten plus games. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I've uh, the thing was I think at the beginning of the season, I I was very skeptical of the secondary scoring because I remember I think it was before their game where Dallas came to play in Toronto, and at that point it was unbelievable how much um, like what percentage of the team's goals were based from. Uh, Matthews, Tavares, Marner. Uh, I can't. I think I. I know there are five players. I can't think of who else I would have included in that. But I think there was there was a big. Fo- there was a lot more secondary scoring that started to come right around that period of time, 
And now it seems like the secondary scoring is starting to drop off a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we talked about this again last week, and that's going to be an absolute key for them when they play Boston. Yeah, especially because um, the Leafs uh, have, should, in theory, have the better depth in terms of the forwards when compared to the Boston mm-hmm. Bruins. But the Bruins do have quality lines. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Their first line is one of the best lines in hockey. Their second line is is pretty decent when you have David Krejci on there. Their third line can 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 be an even matchup against the Toronto Maple Leafs. I would I don't know how their fourth line would stack against Leafs. I think in terms of their forward depth, we can't underestimate the Boston Bruins. But at the same time, the Leafs should have the edge. Yeah, and that was a big thing for me is that I think if the Leafs can contain the the Bruins' first line, and even the second line for that matter, then they're in a very good spot. But that secondary scoring, especially the Kadri line, and even for that matter, the fourth line, is going to need to be able to produce in the playoffs. Um, and we saw last year, you know, Mitch Marner, Patrick Marlowe, um, were among the, the only one, the only forwards actually producing, more so Mitch Marner, but... I think there was a drop-off in points from 9 to 5, basically, from Marner to anybody else on the team. But I think that was a big problem last year, is that the top play, of course, in the playoffs, the top players are counted on to be the top players. But with, I don't want to call them a top-heavy team like Boston, but with a team that relies, you know, that puts a lot of their scoring, uh, their scoring hopes on, you know, the top six forwards, the Leafs need to be able to capitalize Um when they have those third and fourth line matchups. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of that is because of the fact that we've been seeing uh, a lot of line turnover throughout the season, whether that be with injuries or just struggling players or trades or what have you. Um, I think we've definitely seen the third or fourth line has never really been stable. Hell, even the, the, the Matthews line has never really been as consistent as it has been of late. The only one that's really been set from the from day one and has barely changed bearing any sort of unforeseen circumstances, has been the Tavares line. Mm. And I think we have to keep that in mind. Like, chemistry is a huge thing in hockey, and if a team does not uh, play together for an extended period of time, like, their chemistry is not going to be that strong. And I think that's what we're seeing with uh, the Cadre line, for especially because, like, there's been a lot of roster turnover. Like, he's played at times with uh, Andreas Janssen. Now he's playing with uh, Patrick Marlowe. Hell, he's been playing a, a brief a beat brief with uh, William Nylander. Now he's playing with uh, Kasperi Kapanen. A player who should, in theory, benefit from a guy like Kadri, who can uh, give him that first pass in the slot and get quality chances, because Kadri Kapanen is more of a shooter than he is a passer. So I think there's still a feel-out process that we're seeing from all the lines, even the fourth line, which is probably the one line that keeps changing each and every game. Mm-hmm. And I think if the Leafs are going to have success, they need to figure out which lines they want to have going into the playoffs. And I know it's unfortunate given all the injuries, but uh, the, time, the clock's ticking. they got to figure this out. Now, you talked about the forward lines in terms of the defensive pairings. So, a lot's going on right now. Uh, Jake Gardner is skating, which is a big positive. Travis Dermott um, it has now not wearing the non-contact jersey, which is a massive positive. And then, uh, Callie Rosen's return to the Marlies um, with the intention of bringing Rosen up within the next you know little while. Um how excited are you to see Callie Rosen in the NHL? Oh, I'm really excited. Um, I remember posting back when he signed his uh, contract extension that he's one of the Marlies' best defense, if not their best defenseman, and he's doing a lot of great things, and his development since he got sent down last season has been tremendous. And 
I think if it wasn't for the injury that he sustained uh, earlier in 2019, I think you might we may have seen uh, Callie Rosen join the Leafs much earlier than we are seeing him. But I think the fact that he's going to be joining the the Leafs at at, at this point of the year it's, it's fantastic. I think he definitely is going to be an NHL defenseman. I think it was it was unfortunate we only got to see him for five games last year, but uh, hopefully this is the start of uh, a long tenure as a Leafs third pairing defenseman. Yeah, and and with with Rosen. Um, I would much rather see them, you know, take a chance on Rosen, who's only played four NHL games before, versus just keeping somebody like Martin Marinz in the lineup where we know what we're getting with him, and it's not great, um, basically. Um, the thing with Rosen that I think is interesting is that it, he he's, especially now that we're getting to the point where he's going to be an NHL player, the Leafs' left side defense is very crowded. Um and I, I wonder what it's going to look like next year with Riley, Muzzin, Dermott, um, now Rosen, even Rasmus Sandin. So, you know, that's you can argue whether or not for Sandin, but that's at least four NHL-ready left-shot defensemen. I know they've had Dermott on the right side. I don't know if that's something that they're looking at long-term, though. Mm-hmm. So what, I don't, what do you see the defensive pairings like? For next season. Well, I think the one thing we need to keep in mind is that Ron Hainsey will not be on the team next year, so we can immediately uh, cross that off. Another player that we may, we probably won't see next season is Jake Herner, and that's another left-handed defenseman in, in the crowded list on that side. And I do remember seeing something along the lines of Travis Dermott playing on the third pairing with Callie Rosen, and Dermott would be on the right side. So mm-hmm. that could potentially be one of the pairings. I don't know if that'd be the that probably be a like second borderline third pairing defense next season because of the fact that the Leafs still have Nikita Zaitsev and they still have two other players in uh, Marinchin and Ojeganov that they have to figure out what they're going to do with and also Sandin and uh, Liljegren as well but we also have to keep in mind that they may they may sign somebody in free agency that'd be their big move and that it'd be getting uh like someone like relatively I wouldn't say like like the big fish of the like fry. Tyler Myers yeah if he somehow came to be that that would be really nice but I don't know if it's gonna be it's gonna fit the least budget. Like I'd probably be, they're not gonna be, they're not gonna be like the John Tavares where they make the biggest move of the day. But it's gonna be a move that's going to help the team's back end. But I just don't know which what's who's gonna be. Yeah, that's the thing for me though is that any move in the off season, um, really depends on what Marner, Janssen, and Captain's contracts are gonna look like. And until those are sorted out, I question. You know, I question if it's not if those contracts are all not sorted out by July first, and I doubt all three will be. Um, I don't know what kind of moves they can necessarily make in free agency um, in terms of defense. And when, you know, as is the cap crunch is going to be pretty tight. Um, that's even without Jake Gardner, uh, especially after adding Muzzin. Um, with the Leafs' defense, though, so would you see Riley and Muzzin playing together at any point, or do you think they'd be separated for next season? I think that we saw early when Jake Muzzin arrived in the Leafs that the Muzzin-Riley pairing is pro- perhaps the best pairing the Leafs have had yeah. in a while. And I think that they should stay together. I think that should be the Leafs' top pairing, bearing any uh, trades or free agent signings that I don't know of because uh, the Leafs will always make surprises for me. But that's that's what I think for now, at least f- with what we know and who will likely be on the team next year, um, a Muzzin-Riley pairing has to be. Would so you- my- Wait, what? I just would you have Muzzin on the right side? Uh, I think Muzzin prefers to be in the left side, and I th- I think because Riley is much younger, I think him being on the right side would probably make more sense. 
So I guess for you now, uh, little, little, the second pairing, that's probably one that people don't really know what it's going to look like because there's going to be so many changing parts and who's going to be left, it's hard to determine. Yeah. Um, when I look at it, I could see something really similar this year, but swapping out Rosen for Gardner. And I know that's not necessarily an upgrade, not to say anything bad about Kelly Rosen, but Jake Gardner you know, is a top four defenseman in the NHL, and we don't know what Rosen's going to be. So I agree that it should be, that Riley and Muslin should play together. Um, I could see Dermot playing on the second pair maybe with Zaitsev, and then on the third pair, um, you know, if there are no moves, I could see Rosen and maybe Ojiganov or maybe Justin Hall, but, you know, I can't see that being any any sort of improvement over what what we see this year. Like, for instance, I would play Ron Hainsey over Igor Zhiganov or Justin Hall every day. Um, I think the the thing about Ron Hainsey is the the minutes that he gets. If he wasn't a, if he's not playing top pairing, people like Ron Hainsey. You know, if he's playing third pairing minutes in a very sheltered uh, matchup where he's not going to be up up against the best players um, on the other team's top line, you know, he he's a he's a solid defensive defenseman. It just he gets beat easily because he's 36 years old and you know when you have players coming down the outside with speed he can't there's nothing that he can do um yeah so in terms of that that's why i think they're in a bit of an interesting situation the fact that i don't think they'd love to go in with ojigan overhaul as the sixth defenseman who's actually getting minutes at the same time i don't know what kind of moves they can make um because of the cap crunch and that's where i think they were really hoping that Timothy Lilligan can come up, and obviously Dew has talked about that as well. But with Lilligan, he I, I I'm not going to lie and say I watch a ton of the Marley games, but on a points basis, he has not been progressing how you would have loved to see him to. Yeah. Um, I know when I checked, he was a minus twelve. His points totals were not significantly up from last season. Um, would you have Lilligan up next year? That's hard to say. Um, I think for the first thing we need to talk about with uh, Lilligren and uh, Callie Rosen is that Lilligren, like he remember he had mono a few like mm-hmm. two like two years ago when he was drafted by the Leafs, uh, and I think it still takes some time for to recover from it. And last season he had a he had a pretty decent season for a rookie, and uh, like transferring over from uh, Sweden to North America, that's always going to be a big transition for 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 a young guy, let alone someone who's like eighteen or nineteen years old. And I think Lilligren did good, like, in the shelter minutes, and he grew into the role, and he got better as time went on. And what I'm thinking is happening, I don't know how much of this applies to the AHL, but we may be seeing a sophomore slump with Timothy Lilligren in combination with some other injuries that he's been suffering throughout the season. And I think that given Rasmus Sandin's age and the fact that he was in the OHL last season, he's done a little bit better in terms of his progression in his first season in comparison to Rasmus Sandin. And I think it, it is a little bit unfair because of the, the, the health concerns that Lilligren had compared to Sandin, but we I, it's been much more impressive to see what Sandin has done. And I think he has slightly jumped ahead of Lilligren, but it's not a huge gap. Yeah, another thing is that Sandin's a year younger. Um, if only he was a right-hand shot defenseman, right? Because yeah. I would imagine if he, if he was a right-shot defenseman, he'd be up next season. Yeah. It would be my expectation, at least. Yeah. Um, 
yeah with that i think it's interesting i'm really excited to see how rosen does though mm-hmm. um interesting thing uh, about the right side defense uh, i just looked at cap the leafs cap friendly page and something i didn't even think about until now is uh, igor Zhiganov's contract he's uh, only signed to a one-year deal yeah he's restricted though right yeah he's an rfa but i don't even know if the leafs want to keep bringing him back like, uh, do, do they want to bring him back the thing is, I think they can probably bring him back for, once again, like under a million dollars on a one-year expiring contract, because um, I think he knows that he's also not going to get anything more than that in free agency, So, um, or if they shouldn't qualify him, should I say. So I, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back for another season, just based mm-hmm. on, I don't, I think their options right now are to either play for next season, or to play Holorozhiganov as a sixth defenseman, are to bring up Timothy Lilligren or to acquire a player. But I think we're at the point now where if a player is acquired, somebody actually does have to leave the lineup. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that was beaten to death by TSN, etc. for the past two or three seasons, and I never really agreed with it. But with Muzzin coming in, I actually do think we're at the point now where if, if a defenseman is brought in now, somebody does have to go. So yeah. I think... That would have to be a pretty significant move, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that that's where the likes of uh, neither Nikita Zaitsev or uh, Patrick Marlowe have to go the other way because the Leafs, they're tied up in those salaries, and obviously they've been underperforming based on their ex- their salary uh, numbers. And obviously Nikita Zaitsev, like he does some decent things defensively, but we know there's some inc- there's some flaws to his game that cannot be ignored. And Patrick Marlowe, God bless him, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame once his career is done, but at $6.25 million yeah. at 39 years old, he's not producing at that level. And uh, I think that's definitely going to hurt the Leafs unless they can find a way to move those contracts or get rid of them in the best way possible. I think Patrick Marlowe is probably the best thing that they could do would be if, by some miracle, at the end of the season, Patrick Marlowe just decides to retire. But... I don't know the chances of that happening. No, I think they're pretty slim. Um, th- my reason being, at least, is that he was leaving San Jose on the basis that, and don't quote me on the numbers because I'm not 100% sure, but um, I remember seeing that year when he did sign with the Leafs, San Jose was only willing to go $5 million for two years, and a big thing for Marlowe was getting that extra year on the contract. Hmm. So that's why, I don't know. And, and with Marlowe's no-movement clause, too, I think... They were set up in a way that they'd be able to handle the contract, but then as soon as Tavares was signed, everything changed, and I don't think they were really. I have, I you know, I would as a fan, I would have all the confidence in Dubis and the management group, but I don't think they were really prepared in what they were going to do with the Marlowe contract if Tavares did come to Toronto. Yeah, and I think uh, now that I think about it, uh, like Zaitsev is probably the easier contract to move out of the two, but I think probably the easiest contract out of all those all these two moves that I mentioned would be the Connor Brown contract, which yeah. we, we've talked about before on previous episodes, how he's making $2.1 million next season on the last year of his deal, and I think that that's the kind of contract you'd have to move to save a bit of salary. And I think we everyone's beaten to death the fact that Connor Brown has absolutely no redeeming qualities to his games that would make him worth keeping on the team long term. And with the uh, expansion draft coming up, there's there's going to be even more uh, tough decisions that the Leafs have to make. Yeah, I I like Connor Brown actually, and he, he's frustrating because he I've never seen a player dump and chase so much. But I wouldn't say there's no redeeming qualities. I would say there's not enough redeeming qualities to keep him at that price for another year. Where we're at the point where players need to start going. That's my thing with it, and. I think there are players that they can bring up. I wonder if Jeremy Bracco gets a chance next season. I don't know. 
because um, for me, Bracco has to be playing a top nine minutes if he's going to be in the NHL. Yeah. Um, I could see them doing something similar to what we've seen with Janssen, Trevor Moore, Kapanen, where he gets brought up partway through the season. But yeah, I, yeah, that that's interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of load management now, um, going to the playoffs, how would you be using the players on the team against Boston? That's absolutely a great question, especially because the season is uh, coming to uh, coming close to the to the conclusion. Um, obviously, if you guys are listening to this, this is uh, Monday, the twenty fifth of March, and the Leafs are going to be playing the Florida Panthers. So I believe after this, there's only six games left. Is that correct? I there. Oh yeah, you're right. There's seven games left in the season. Yeah. So I think that the Leafs, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's one back to back left, and Garrett Spark is most definitely going to get a game there. And uh, after that, uh, like there's like a few actually like, pretty much throw-in games, and by then the Leafs should, and this is this is what I'm saying. But in theory, they should have a playoff spot locked up. So I think if I'm the Leafs, you have to give Garrett Sparks more than one more start the rest of the way because if Frederick, I know the Leafs want to want to win, they want to get points, but at this point in the season, their playoff position is more or less uh, decided. Um, they have six points left before they can clinch a playoff spot. If they win tonight, it's four. Otherwise, it stays the same. So they have to get find a way to get Garrett Sparks in more games. They also have to find a way to... I think, ideally, we want to see Ron Hainsey rest in at least one of one of these next few games. Because I think for, for, the, 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 for him to be as useful as he possibly can, he needs all the rest he can possibly get. And I know that Babcock has really been reluctant to uh, rest him, especially with all the injuries. But, yeah, like, I think Ron Hainsey should sit out in at least one of the next uh, seven games. Do you actually see that happening, though? Because I think those are two different things. Yeah, that's uh, that's the point. I think, in theory, it should happen. I think it makes a lot of sense. But, in reality, with Gardner and Dermott still recovering, we know that Dermott is more closer to returning than Gardner is. And with Rosen potentially coming up, I, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. Yeah, that's my thing. I don't think Babcock would be resting, resting Hainsey, especially with... Um, Rosen coming up and Gardner and Dermott still out of the lineup. That For me, even if they were in the lineup, I still can't even see Babcock resting Hainsey, no matter if he should or not, because at this point, it's the games are almost meaningless for the Leafs. And I, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I shouldn't say that necessarily, but, the, you know, they're seven points back of Boston and eight up on Montreal. So with that, I think it's pretty clear as to where their positioning stands. Um, to get home ice in the playoffs, I'm just looking at it now. In their seven games, if they won all seven and took 14 points away from that and were at 108 points, the Bruins would still have to go 3-3-1 three, three, and one in their last in their last seven games. So the chances are extremely, extremely low that you know the Leafs are getting home ice advantage. And I love to see players getting rested, to be honest. At the same time, though, I'm a little skeptical because... Though it would be great to have a really fresh team going in and get them to reset a little bit, I don't think they've been consistent enough that we can, you know, I think if they were resting, I'd be a little worried about what team's going to be coming on the playoffs because they haven't been playing up to where they need to be playing to be able to mm-hmm. be Boston. So that's why I'd be a little concerned about resting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, the stretch that they've been playing recently, especially this past week, is signs of encouragement. It's like, obviously, we want to see them have success. We want to see them win games. But maybe if you think about it from a from a bigger picture perspective, while Leafs are playing good hockey, and they definitely have been showing progression this past week, they went 1-1-1, I think 
you can also think of it different ways. Like you're playing good, but you can play better. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you look at the Leafs' uh, shot quality quantities and uh, maybe quality of shots in those in those three games where I mentioned that they were struggling, perhaps maybe they're just maybe this could this be a perfect opportunity for them to really focus in and just like get their uh, craft going, like figure things out, get back to the basics of how how they want to play the game. Think kind of the way that they were playing at the start of the season, and I think. Yes, an ad- adversity is great for every team, and that's obviously ev- everybody says. So I think that, um, yeah, like I think like they definitely can look at it as motivation. Like, hey, we played some great, ho- we played some good hockey. We definitely need to, we can definitely be better than this. Yeah, um, I agree. I think it'll be, yeah. I, I, I just, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of antsy for the playoffs at this point because mm-hmm. I, I. I kind of hate the stretch of games where mm. we know what's going to happen and we're just kind of riding out the games and it's nothing more than just to see how the team's going to finish off the season. Mm-hmm. I'm a little excited to see other teams play. Teams like Columbus, who are still a point out of the playoffs right now yeah. and have just literally, you know, said, this is the year that we're making our push and now they may not make the playoffs. It's stuff like that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I just, this entire point of the season, I think I'm. A little worn out from it. I imagine some other fans probably are as well. Where, yeah. you know, aside from the frustration of the team being, you know, back and forth between which team steps out to play. Yeah. I think we're at the stretch now. We're seventy-five games in the year. We all know what's coming. I just I'm excited to see the playoffs. Yeah, and I think we have to look compare the last two seasons with how the Leafs finished their seasons. Uh, like when you're talking about Columbus and Montreal, I immediately jumped back to 2016-17, where the Leafs went on a really nice run towards towards the latter half of the season, and they just barely clawed their way in. Like it, it took them the second last game to even clinch a playoff spot, and the last game to determine who they were going to be facing. So. And then last season, obviously, um, we were kind of kind of in the same indicative that we are in now. The Leafs kind of already know who they're going to be playing in the first round. Uh, they're kind of just just trying to get to the end of the season as quickly as possible. But now there's there's kind of a little bit of a sense of urgency at the same time in that Montreal is can still catch them. Like and, and the chances are not high, but there's still a chance that they could catch them. If you look at the number of games that are left in the schedule, the Leafs have 94. The Canadians have 88 games. Yes, they have a game in hand. But 90, 92, 94 win three games. The Leafs lose all their three games. And, and all the next four games, they catch them in the standings. Here's an interesting thought. What if the Leafs did lose those games and fell to a wild card spot? Just not that I think this is going to happen or there's any sort of a high chance of this. But would you feel more confident with them playing Washington? That's we we can't guarantee that though because what if Carolina continues to win their games and but, then you run the risk of potentially having to play Tampa Bay in the first round, which is something no team wants to play, let alone the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, that's true. If if the matchup though was, if they fell into that first wild card spot and ended up playing a Metropolitan team, would you feel more confident of them playing any of those four Metropolitan teams than Boston? Because I would. Hmm. That's actually a very good question. And not, like, again, this isn't going to happen, but just in theory. Hmm. Well, let's let's look, let's look. think about how the season series has gone between all the teams that are there. Uh, Washington, the series is pretty much done. The Leafs won a pretty tight game back in October. Um, and then back at, towards, towards before the uh, All-Star break, I believe it was, the Leafs d- dominated the uh, Capitals to a 6-3 win. 
And uh, then the third game, they they did a lot of things right, but then ran into Holt. They got Holt lead, and they lost that game. Um, the Islanders is kind of hard to really put into perspective how the Leafs would do because in the two games, the Leafs have had to play their backups, second half of back to back, and uh, there are some circumstances going into both of those games. So I think a better judgment will be after their game on April first for me to decide how that series would go in in theory. And then obviously Pittsburgh, the games are back and forth. Leafs played well one game, played played about another game. I think Leafs could probably. I think it's Pittsburgh series would probably be the most interesting mm-hmm. out of out of these three so far. And then there's Carolina, which I think that's probably the one series out of all of these four that I'd be the most concerned about. You because, would be concerned about because Carolina is actually one of the best team, better team, best teams in the NHL at five on five. And remember, back way way back, the Carol like, was it. October or November, where the Leafs played the Hurricanes in Carolina, and they got pretty much run out the door by the Hurricanes. Like they were doing, they were like piling on shot after shot after shot, and they the almost like the Leafs barely hung on. Oh, sorry. Sorry for anybody listening. I think we just had a uh, technical malfunction. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the mic was agree with me that how scary the Hurricanes are. <laughs> but but long but anyway, I'm going a little bit off topic. I think the Carolina Hurricanes are playing some of their best hockey right now, and that's the kind of team you don't want to play in the playoffs, especially if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think Carolina is the team I'd rather play deeper into the playoffs than right out of the gate in the first round because look at the way that they're playing. They're, they're playing some of their best stretch of games. They're like 6-3-1 in the last 10. Like, I, I know their goaltending is suspect, and I think, in theory, you should be able to beat them, but at 5-on-5, five five, they're, they're dangerous. Interesting. To wrap up the, the playoff talk, though, how big of a dis? We might have talked about this, but if not, how big of a disappointment would it be if the Leafs go out in the first round of Boston again? I think it's definitely a disappointment. Um, we've, I think we did mention this before that uh, I think this season there shouldn't be a hope at least one in the first round. It should be the goal. It should be an expectation. Yeah, because they should be going deeper in the playoffs this year. They sh- there should be signs of progression towards becoming a top cup contender, and. Uh, if they don't do that, like there's clearly still more work to do, obviously. But at the same time, it's disappointing. Like who? I don't care who the opponent is. They have to go deeper in the playoffs than they do this year. What no. about you? No, I agree. I just looking at whether or not, regardless of the fact that they're technically a year ahead of where they're supposed to be in their plan uh, that was outlined during the rebuild, they went to Game 6, barely snuck into the playoffs in the first year. Last year, I still thought that was a fine year for their second year um, with Matthews and Marner and Nylander. Um, you know, they had a bet- much better regular season. Uh, if it was still one to eight matchups, they would have had home ice last year. They made it to game seven against a very good Bruins team. I was completely fine with the way the last year, you know, shook down. I thought that was completely fine. I think this year they need, they absolutely need to win a playoff series. And if not, it's not necessarily time to panic or anything because I've talked about this before, and I think the Leafs, regardless of the cap situation, are going to have their best players for a very, very long time. Yeah. But it's not time to panic, but there needs to be serious adjustments made, and it can't just be looking at little tweaks. It needs to be a full, like, they really need to sit down, look at the team, and figure out what's not working. Yeah. And uh, I think we have to keep in mind that in the first year, obviously, they played five of the six games against the Capitals, went to overtime. So they can yeah. clearly match up with some of the best teams in the NHL. And against the Boston Bruins, the Leafs didn't play, weren't at their best, and yet they still made it to Game 7. So that, that tells you that these, this is a really good team that we have in front of us, and I think this is definitely the best Leafs team that we've had assembled 
in well over a decade for sure. Maybe even more than that, because two two, the early 2000s are closing in on 20 years ago, which is pretty remarkable, all things considered. Yeah. But, yeah, the Leafs team right now is the best we've seen in a while, and I think that they can definitely match up against a lot of great teams in the NHL, and I think it just comes down to execution. The Leafs last year, like I said, they weren't at their best, yet they still made it to the final game. And they were even up 4-3 to three after two periods, so they can clearly... They can clearly play well against these teams. Like I said, they just have to do it. Yeah. I Just looking back, that Capitals series was probably one of my favorite series I've ever watched. Oh, yeah. The Bruins series, to me, was very similar to the Vancouver-Boston series in 2011, where it seemed like Vancouver was... I, I shouldn't say this necessarily because I don't think Toronto dominated at home by any means last uh, in, in the playoffs. Um, but that said, you know, Vancouver held their own and... and you know, took out Boston all three games in Vancouver, but when they were going to Boston, they were just getting blown out every single game, and that's what it reminded me of last year. I know the least one game five in Boston, but to me, it seemed like the games were fairly fairly even in Toronto, but then as soon as, for whatever reason, they're playing in Boston, it was just, you couldn't even, exp- like, it, it was hard to expect the team to even compete. Like, even that game five when they won, that the Leafs should not have won that game. It was all Frederick Anderson. I think it might also be the mental aspect. Maybe the Leafs are overthinking it too much. Like, they're looking at TD Gardens, and I think a lot of fans, and I'd probably say myself included to an extent, that that's a house of horrors. And when you think of a house of horrors, when you think of a building as a house of horrors, it's going to get to you. And I think that that's what I think some of the Leafs are going through, and especially because of the fact that they have Jake Gardner and Nazem Kadri, who are the only two players left who were on that uh, 2013 Game 7 collapse. Yeah. And I think that that definitely plays a factor. When you think too much about the situation, like you're going into a build, when you're going to TD Gardens, like, oh my goodness, we're going to the TD Gardens. I'm, I can't believe this. We have to play well. Then they don't play well. I think that has definitely plays a factor into it. If Once they start thinking of TD Garden as just another building, which is what Tampa Bay showed clearly, they're, Boston's not that big of a threat. Obviously, you want to see them beat the Boston Bruins. Trust me, I would love to see them beat the Boston Bruins. That's one great way to slay the Dragon, just get them out early in the first round. But I think the one way that they can do that, they know they're going to be facing them, just start thinking of TD Garden as not a house of horrors, just think of it as another building. Yeah, I agree. Um, to move on, um, just to our last topic, um, something completely different, but Joseph Wall signed his entry-level contract. Um, pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, what do you see as the implications for this in the the coming years for the Leafs system? I think we should definitely start looking first at uh, next year because the Leafs goaltend the Marley's goaltender situation is definitely pretty interesting, and we saw that this year they didn't don't really have a goalie in their system yet that can really develop into a starting goaltender material. The only re- reason, one of the primary reasons why the Marlies are even in contention for a playoff spot this late in the season, and, and I think they're probably going to clinch a playoff spot soon if they haven't already, is because they got a guy in Michael Hutchinson from the Florida Panthers. I think that move definitely turned their season around, and they really have been competitive, all because they had a goalie that can stop pucks. This is not to say, this is not to harp on, like to bash on Casimir Kaskasuo and Eamon McAdam, who spent some time with the Marlies. It's just. That's the situation the Leafs are in. They don't. The Leafs' goaltender situation, in terms of the the AHL, is just not good enough right now in terms of the players that they currently have. And I think that 
obviously, it's very encouraging to see guys like Ian Scott doing extremely well in the WHL and Joseph Wall in the uh, in college, I believe it is. But I think for next year, let's starting from next year. I think what we're going to probably see, and I think I heard saw this heard this on the no, for, I for sure heard this on the least on deck podcast. They were talking about how. I think the more ideal situation for Hull and Scott would be to start them with the Growlers in the ECHL. And I think that that's probably what you're going to see. So that means likely the Leafs are going to have to sign another goalie or re-sign Hutchinson to a one-year extension. So you wouldn't have Scott and Wall as the two goalies in the AHL next year? Well, not right away. I think they're still young because they're coming from players around their age to to a professional league. And I think that that's a huge jump. And I think there's no harm in playing them, starting them off in uh, lower competition and killing their confidence and working their way back up. Because we have to keep in mind, goalies t- take the longest to develop, mm. especially in hockey. Like, usually you, see, you hear a goalie come... Oh, there we go again, second time this episode. <laughs> Don't know what's happening, but... Kind of lost... No, I, I got my point back. Um, we saw, like, most goalies... Don't really make a jump, a media jump to the NHL unless they're an exceptional talent to like maybe 23, 24 years old, maybe even a little bit older than that. Yeah, Thatcher Demko is a good example. You know, 23 years old, just starting to get action now, and he's a top goalie prospect. Um, I'd, I'd say maybe look at, you know, Kaskasuo's under contract for another year. Anybody else needs to be re signed. I'd look at maybe keeping Kaskasuo uh, in the AHL and keeping one of the two up in the AHL and sending the other down to the ECHL. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there, there could be some likelihood in re-signing Hutchinson or even McAdam. Um, but I, I'd love to see one of them get fast-tracked a little bit. Just Sorry, I shouldn't say fast-tracked, not rushed, but I'd love to see one start in the AHL um, on the basis that I think Garrett Sparks is probably, you know, not going to be around forever because he's 25 he has one year left um signed on on his new contract and then i think yeah he's a ufa after that so the Leafs are either gonna have to sign a backup or bring somebody up from the system so i'd love to start getting a look at what wall and scott would be able to do yeah i think you put up a pretty interesting point in garrett sparks future and and i think i agree with you in that uh, I, i hate to say this but garrett sparks while he is young and he's definitely got lev- like still more mileage on him, I think when you look at how the Leafs like the Leafs uh, like goaltending prospects and Scott and Wollar, you have two quality options. I you could definitely see Sparks as a as a long term stopgap option, like just just to hold him down in place of uh, these these guys that are down the system that are qual- much I think have much higher ceilings. And I know that this is unfair to say because Sparks has definitely held his own in in four. To some extent, but yeah, I think definitely I I can't wait to see what Tull and uh, Scott do against professional competition next year for sure. And I would love to see them join the Leafs at some point, especially because you have to keep in mind that Anderson's what like twenty nine, closing in on twenty nine. I believe. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anderson cannot he he can't be this good forever. The Leafs have to keep that in mind too, like Anderson's long term future and what what his next contract is going to make. So. They definitely have to keep the long-term future in mind and, and as, as well as the present. Yeah. Um, with Sparks, though, people are really down on Sparks. Um, I think it's just important to note that, again, this is his first full season in the NHL. Um, he's still adjusting. Uh, all signs do point to him being able to hold his own in the NHL from his you know stats back in junior to two excellent seasons with the Marlies. 
signs point that Garrett Sparks can be a good NHL goalie. I think people need to give him a bit more time, and it's unfortunate that he's coming up when he's, you know, just coming up to the NHL when he's 25 years old, because I think if he's, like, maybe 23 when he's coming up, there's a, a very different story around Garrett Sparks, um, but because he's a little older and closer to unrestricted free agency, that's why there's a little bit more impatience, but I... I'm I'm not ready to necessarily give up on Garrett Sparks. I don't, if I'm making my guess, I don't think he has a long-term future in Toronto, but that doesn't, I don't think he should be written off like some people are writing him off. Yeah, and I think that's that's definitely something I totally agree with, with you on that, that uh, Sparks should not be written off necessarily just yet. But I also think that, uh, you're right, Garrett Sparks is most certainly not in the least long-term plans. And I that's not a bad thing. I think he can definitely still be in the NHL, whether that be as a fringe starter or as a quality backup option. I think he can still be in the NHL for a long time. But... I think when you're looking at the Leafs' uh, immediate and short-term uh, future in terms of uh, not just how this season plays out, but the next season and the season after that, and uh, maybe the season after that with uh, Anderson's contract, we just have to keep in mind that um, like Sparks has to start showing signs of progression like towards becoming maybe a potential starter at some point mm-hmm. in the very near future. Like I, I think next season we definitely need to start seeing more signs of progression. Okay, you've had a year in the NHL. You, yeah. You're starting to get your feet wet now. Let's let's see some uh, progress. Yep, I agree. Um, I think that's it for the podcast. I think, actually, I want to talk about one more thing. You got one the, more? Yeah, just about, uh, we talked about Gardner and Dermot, and I just wanted to get your opinion on uh, how, when should be the right time for them to come back. Just, I think it's funny, because I think it's almost a... a a per episode basis now where I think we're done and then we do one more topic. <laughs> I, think I, I seriously think out of the seven podcasts, it's probably happened like five or six times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in terms of Gardner coming back, uh, it's like a bonus should, topic. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. Um, we'll call it, we'll call this episode segment, the bonus topic. Um, so what was the question? When, when do you think it's appropriate? So to come back? we know that Gardner and Dermot are close to returning Dermot much more so than Gardner, but uh, we know that there's not that many games left in the season. The playoffs around the corner. When do you think would make the most sense for them to come back? I think wait as long as you can. Um, and I think people would love to rush it, but I think with Rosen coming back from injury, I'd love to see what he can do. Um, and at that point, you know, Rosen, if he turns out well, we only have somebody like Ojigan Overhaul or Marins in the lineup. It's it's a one stop gap basically. Um, I think with Dermot, he's coming back soon. So I think again, I don't have a ton of information, but I would assume he'll be back before the end of, at the end of the regular season. So I don't think it really matters at what point he gets back before the end of the regular season. With Gardner, I think it's a little bit of a different case because we don't really have any idea as to when Jake Gardner is coming back, um, unless there's some reports that I didn't see, but the last thing that I've seen is just that he's skating, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it gets to the playoffs and he's still not 100%, I'd be really asking Jake Gardner if he can play. Um, and mm-hmm. obviously the safety and health of the player comes first, but if Gardner is able to play, just not at 100%, mm-hmm. I'd be putting him in in the first game um, of the playoffs and maybe even a game or two before that to get him back ready, just on the basis that I don't think you can wait with Jake Gardner because even long-term implications, he doesn't have a long-term future in Toronto. So he was kept as an own rental. And again, just like to highlight again that it's really on the basis of if Jake Gardner can play, but I would be playing him if he's not at 100%. 
um, in the last few regular season games and in the playoffs if he can play, whether or not he's at 100%, just, you know, on the basis that he's an own rental and it's basically now or never with him in the Leafs. Yeah. Um, I think I agree with you on that. You want to hold him off as long as possible. I was pretty surprised when uh, when I was looking at some of the replies to some tweets about Travis Dermott skating in a non-contact jersey. Some of the immediately replies are like, oh, play him in the lineup tonight. Play him right now. It's like, I don't think he's 100% ready yet. I think in the most ideal scenario with Travis Dermott, he plays on Wednesday against the Flyers. That would be the most ideal scenario. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Leafs have the, the benefit of time on their side. And I think the best scenario would probably be to wait until Saturday at the like the probably the more likely scenario with Travis Dermott would probably be he either plays his first game on Saturday against the Ottawa Senators or on Monday against the New York Islanders. So those are one of the two scenarios that I think are more likely to happen with him. As for Jake Gardner, I think I think we want to definitely wait for sure for him. Um, if if he is getting closer, he is starting to skate now, which is a definitely a great sign. But I think he still needs a few, uh, at least another week, before we can even talk about like like what's his long term uh, future. So I think for Jake Gardner, he needs to hope. I think for the most ideal scenario, it would have to be getting into play three games at the end of the season. If not, uh, you wait. The, the the more you the more games you can get in the regular season, the better, obviously. But I think, realistically speaking, we're probably not going to see Jay Gardner again until the playoffs. Yeah, I I agree. I think if he if we do see him, it's not going to be until right at the end of the regular season. Um, if not, right for the start of the playoffs. Um, I think that's it for us. Yeah. We're good. Cool. Um, <laughs> we'll be back next week, probably on a Monday or Tuesday again, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Again, um, if anybody has any comments, um, any questions they want us to answer, any topics that you want us to discuss, let us know. Um, let us know if there's anything you want us to be doing that we're not. Let us know if there's anything we are doing that you don't like. Um, just give us a heads up. Yeah, for sure. And uh, if you do have any questions that you want answered, uh, please give us a shout at either our Twitter handles. Mine is at the Leafs IMO and uh, yours is... Yeah, you can find me at uh, at Ben Shelley underscore 20. Perfect. Um, if you have messages at either, either of those, uh, have a question about the Leafs or even the NHL in general, give us a shout and uh, we may answer it on a future episode. Yep, we'll be back next week. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Yep, see you later, guys. You've been listening to the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow the hosts on Twitter at Ben Shelley underscore 20 and at the Leafs IMO. 